Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. It's not that my life in the U.S. was bad. It just, you know, I always felt like I wanted something more. I wasn't fitting into the box of the path that was laid out for me. And I just wanted to make, yeah, that big change for myself because it just felt like my good life was getting in the way of a great life. And for me, I felt it inside that that great life, the possibility of having that, it just felt like it was going to be abroad. And so for me, I knew that's what I needed to do. That was Seppi Tabibian, whose work revolves around helping people hit refresh on their life with travel, with a move abroad. And that is a big chunk of the conversation you'll hear today. Not only does she share actionable advice about moving to Europe specifically, but for those of you that maybe already live abroad or are based in Europe, we also have a larger conversation around how to use travel to hit refresh and create radical change in your life. Of course, the realities of living anywhere abroad how you can adapt, some tips around that. Of course, why you should consider certain countries based on your longer-term goals. You're going to hear some advice around having a business before you move abroad or establishing one abroad, some of the drawbacks and struggles around living abroad, and so much more. It's happening right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. If you're new to the community, welcome. And for those of you coming back again, welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in touch, always want to share a quick reminder. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. Of course, you can leave me a voicemail. I respond to all of those. And you can find that link in the show notes. Today, we have a wonderful conversation about life abroad, as you heard at the top. And I loved that clip where she said, a good life was getting in the way of a great life. I definitely have more to say about that. Stick around on the back end and I'll share some thoughts plus a quote and a question for you to send you off with a little food for thought after the interview. Stick around for that. For now, let's slip and slide into my conversation with Seppi and I will see you on the other side, my friend. Uh, 
Seppi rhymes with Peppy. I, I am on the line right now with Seppi, which rhymes with Peppy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Seppi Tabibian, founder Perfect. of She Hits Refresh. It's a global community for women age 30 and over who want to break free from a life of routine and move abroad. We're going to talk about moving abroad, specifically to Europe today. So anyway, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me on. I've been like binging your podcast this week just to make sure I was familiar with, you know, the flow. So um just been loving listening to all of your amazing podcast guests that I fangirl over some of them. So I'm just really excited to be here on the podcast now myself. Oh, well, I'm excited to have you. Thanks for reaching out. I mean, of course, moving abroad is a hot topic for this show. <laughs> I know for your show too. I mean, you have a whole podcast about it and you're living in Spain. If I've done my research properly, what city are you in? So I am in Malaga on the Southern coast. I've been here for two years, but actually like most of my time in Spain was in Madrid. I lived in Madrid for five years before moving down South. Yeah. Okay. So Madrid for me, very good vibes because the first solo backpacking trip I took, my first like proper overseas trip, I flew to Madrid. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I remember being there and just being in the city and being like, holy crap, nobody knows where I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm in Madrid, Spain. This is insane. And uh, it just it was just felt so good to be in a foreign country. I'll never forget that feeling. And uh, so anyway, I have good, uh, good memories from my time in Madrid. I'm wondering why it was Spain for you because, yeah, I mean, this is part of your story. And I think this is important because you're obviously passionate enough about your own experience moving abroad to then want to help others do that. And I imagine that's because it's been so transformative in your own life. So I think this is an important piece. Of course, we're going to get into all of the sort of, I, I kind of broke it up into two stages. It's like sort of the dream stage and then the do stage, right? So we can get people excited about the possibilities of, of different places they might want to move and talk a bit about that kind of stuff and then actually how, how it would get done. But for you, it all started in Texas. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> or sort of Colombia and Iran, I guess, really is where it really started for you, right? <laughs> yes. Well, for my parents. Yeah. So well, it wouldn't my, be my... you without that, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. My parents were immigrants to the US. My dad's from Iran, mom from Colombia. And I was born in the US. I was born in West Virginia, but I basically grew up in Texas. So Texas is kind of where my, my story began. But wait, how did they meet? Because those are countries that are pretty far apart on the map. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> so they met in the late 70s in, uh, in university. They were both went to uh, WVU. My mom had been living in the U.S. for a bit, was there. My dad actually got a scholarship from Iran to go there. So they actually met in their ESL, so English as a second language class, uh, that my mom was taking and didn't need because she had already lived in the U.S. forever and was fluent but wanted an easy A. And, um, and that's how they met. So do you speak... Farsi and Spanish and English? Oh my God, love that question. And I love that, you know, it's Farsi. So many people ask me if I speak Arabic and that's not the language of Iran. But um, unfortunately, neither of them taught me their languages. So I do not speak Farsi, like some words. Spanish, my mom didn't teach me, so I've learned that in Spain. So I'm like the the odd one out in my family with like this sort of Spanish accent. Um 
But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, mad at them. I could have been on like my fifth language by now, but I feel like I'm, I'm still learning Spanish after all these years. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think that's pretty cool actually, because one of my uh, assumptions, never assume it makes an ass out of you and me. Have you ever heard that expression? Uh, yes, but now, one so of my true. assumptions when you said you were in Spain, I was thinking, well, maybe you had this background with the language, having one of your parents come from Colombia. So I thought, well, you know, that, that might be easier for somebody that has the, the, the knowledge built in for language is one of the things I want to talk about today, but no, you had to learn it like most of us. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I had the little advantage of growing up around Spanish. So my parents definitely spoke their languages around me to their siblings and their friends. So I have an ear for it, but definitely had to put in the hours to, to get to where I am now. Yeah. So what is daily life like in Malaga? Yeah. In Malaga, it's pretty chill. It's a, it's a big contrast, I would say, to my life in Madrid. You know, the hustle and bustle lifestyle. I lived right in the city. But here in Malaga, I live like an eight-minute walk to the beach. I kind of live like a little bit up on a mountain. So I have sea views from my balcony, which is amazing. It's a pretty chill life. I work from home. So I have my my home office. And uh, and yeah, I go to the center sometimes. I meet up with friends. It's It's pretty relaxing, I would say. Why did you choose to move there from Madrid? Yeah. Well, I didn't want to. I kind of ended up in Malaga. Um, I actually thought I was going to live and die in Madrid. You know, I was telling Madrid, like, this is the place for everyone. I mean, best city ever for me. And I still think that. But I, during the pandemic, I just needed a brief change. You know, we were all kind of indoors and social life had changed. And I just wanted access to more nature and, and just do something different. So I came to Malaga. The idea was come for six months and then move back to Madrid six months later, but two weeks after being here, I met my now partner um, and I have never left. Yeah. (laughs) That's how it goes in life, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) What did they say? Life has happened. What what happens when you make other plans or something like that? You know, at two weeks in, that sort of temporary thing didn't last very temporarily long, did it? (laughs) Not at all. I never imagined myself living in Malaga, although it's still Spain. I just never imagined myself living here. So it's it's been a, a nice little detour in life. And um, you know, it's different than Madrid. I still am a big city girl at heart. So I am still two years later, I've been here two years, still adapting and, and learning and, you know, making community and kind of like, you know, hitting refresh is what I, is what my company is all about. So I myself have, you know, hit refresh within Spain in a new city. Yeah. I mean, I should say this conversation we're going to have today, it's not just applying to women over 30, right? We're talking broadly about, about moving to Europe. Some of the advice I know will pertain to, uh, U.S. citizens, but I think there's going to be enough that we're going to unpack here to to apply to a, a lot of different people. So I just wanted to preface the conversation or the, the nuts and bolts of the conversation with with that statement. The time when you begged your parents to go abroad for your 17th birthday, <laughs> I want you to share a little bit about that and, and kind of what I'm fishing for here. If you had to give advice to somebody who is like looking for that support to go travel at any age, really, like even people at older ages, like... Sometimes, you know, parents or family can be kind of hard on big decisions or very skeptical, let's say, or very down on big, big decisions. I mean, you've probably come across this through some of your client work and stuff, but I I thought it'd be fun to hear a bit more about that particular story and your personal experience and then maybe offer some advice around that. 
Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest tip is to find an advocate and that does tie into my story of when I was 17. Um, I had made some best friends in high school that were kind of the kids that were studying abroad, foreign exchange students and kids whose like parents had um, been transferred from Europe to, to Houston for work. So I had a lot of European friends and one of them in particular, my best friend, moved back to the Netherlands after a year. And I really, you know, wanted to see her. I had never been abroad, even though like my parents were from other countries. Um, I, I hadn't. My parents barely let me go from Houston to Austin, you know, which is like a two hour drive by myself. So were they, were they my, strict like that or? Oh yeah. My dad was like old school Iranian strict. So they um, kept me close. But I, I, I begged my dad, you know, for my 17th birthday to please send me to the Netherlands and spend a month there with my best friend. And his <laughs> sure, answer was, well. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Are you crazy to another country? Uh, but I had a great advocate, which was my mother's sister, my aunt, who was like, it'll be a great experience for her. You should let her go. It's going to be eye opening and really pushed. And I think really, you know, helped my parents see the benefits of sending me there. And I don't know, by my surprise, they said yes. And that one trip completely changed the trajectory of my life. And so that's why I say, get an advocate um, if you're young and you need that kind of help. But also if you're interested in doing something like this and it might sound scary or crazy, just having someone who's in your corner or who has done it can really help you make that leap if you have your own limiting beliefs. In my case, it was my parents were the blockers, but sometimes we're, we get in our own ways too. Yeah finding the support somewhere. I know you, you do that through your community, but I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it now more than ever. I mean, I think, uh, some decades ago, you know, it would be tough sometimes to find those communities, but now you can find a lot of them online. Was your upbringing pretty strict overall? Yes. Yeah, it was. I was, you know, the first child. I was kind of an only child for eight years until my brother came along. I was, you know, girl. My dad, you know, came from a sort of strict background. And so he was instilling that in, um, in, yeah, in, in my upbringing. So I really identified with a lot of other of the first gen kids that also had very strict parents, like uh, the other kids in school that, you know, their parents were from South Asia or Southeast Asia. Um, and I wasn't able to do a lot with my parents' permission, but I did a lot of things by not telling them the truth and kind of being a little bit of a, re a rebel in my time. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you still consider yourself a bit of a rebel now? Um, I don't think I've tamed down a bit, but now, you know, I have the freedom to do whatever I want. So I don't think I have to be a rebel anymore. Yeah. I mean, do you think that some of the, I'm always curious of what leads somebody to a life abroad. Is there anything within like a strict upbringing that has let you think maybe consciously or subconsciously led you to, you know, searching out more freedom and, and like kind of getting out of that, like physically leaving the country to get that freedom? Is that right? Yeah. You know, I never really thought about it that way. I mean, it sounds like such a um, obvious link, but maybe because, you know, that first trip was so life-changing to the Netherlands when I was 17, not only because I got to see, you know, how people lived in a different way, um, but I think that freedom of not having kind of, you know, my parents being overbearing, being able to actually just do whatever I wanted was really profound for me. And maybe that was something I was chasing because after that trip at 17, I, I went abroad every year, um, every summer. And it was that, that high from travel that I'm sure you and many of your listeners um, understand, that high that I was chasing of just being free out in the world, not being connected to anything, not even to my identity, right? You're 
discovering who you are with every new interaction. And maybe it was that that led me to my journey abroad of traveling. And then traveling moved into the idea of like, hey, I want to live over here. I don't just want this to be a, you know, I would do long travel when I was younger. I don't want this to be two or three months or just my summer. I want to make this a permanent thing. But it took quite a while to figure out how to put those pieces of the puzzle together to make that work. Yeah. Were there any strong sort of limiting beliefs that might have been holding you back in certain places in your life or your career or whatever, any aspects that you want to share that uh, you found travel was able to basically eradicate? Hmm. Oh, wow. This is a a, a big question. Um, <laughs> well, we, I think... We don't do small questions on the Zero to Travel podcast. <laughs> right? <now. laughs> right? Um. I mean, it definitely helped me grow as a person because I was able to, you know, I think when I was younger, I was so afraid maybe in a way of being judged and I don't know where that comes from. Um, but, you know, so I was kind of like neutral and everything. And when you travel, you're meeting different people and you kind of have to speak up, especially if you want to make friends, you know, you have to put yourself out there. You have opinions. Also, you are kind of identified a bit about where you come from. So being the American, people ask you of your views on certain things, or uh, you can really feel, you know, in the U.S., I never felt that I was American enough because I come from these this immigrant household. But abroad, I was like, oh, I feel pretty American compared to these people. So I think in a way, um, you know, traveling really helped me find my voice, you know, find my identity or, or evolve and, and seek that out. So that helped a lot. Um, I think travel also helped me see that there were just other ways to live other than the conventional path in the U.S. Although a lot of my traveling when I was younger, there weren't a lot of other ways, but I could just see that there was a different type of way that people approach life, or that's what I felt when I went to other places. In the U.S., there was so much pressure on this uh, traditional path of success of, um, you know, your job title and how much money you're making in your house, size and what car you have. And abroad, I don't know, I felt I was exposed to different values that people had. Um, and that changed a little bit of what I saw as the possibilities for myself. I was just thinking as, as you were mentioning identity and, you know, like we can shed all of the identities we want when we're traveling, but people can still place identities on you as uh, say, you know, oh, well, he's an American or she's an American. So I'm automatically going to think this, this, and this, they must be loud. They must be obnoxious or whatever the case is that they believe, or maybe it's not a bunch of nice things, who knows, but even when you shed those things yourself, you can still have those things placed on you by other people. But there is something freeing in that space where nobody has a uh, really any idea of like who you are or what you're about in, in a way, you know, which really it'd be great if like all of us were all open all the time. But, you know, you could look at high school experience, for example, and there's clicks and like, you know, people make assumptions about other people and, and nobody really knows what's going on at home or what's going on inside a person. But that physical separation from your country is, it just ramps that up. <laughs> Definitely. And I think it lets you play with your identity because, you know, when we're in our, you know, circles at home with our friends and family, they know us as 
the person who does this but doesn't do that. And so they can, you know, feed that back to us. And we start to believe like, oh, I'm somebody who does this but doesn't do that. And when you strip yourself of those identities and you're around people who don't know you abroad, I think it gives you more permission to try things that maybe you would never do or you would say, oh my God, I would never do that. You actually find yourself being open to trying those things because you don't have those external pressures of living up to the identity that has been placed on you or that you've created for X amount of time. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. The cultural backgrounds of your parents, how was that growing up in terms of like getting exposed to different traditions on each side? What was that experience like for you, because I would imagine that they tried to share some of their traditions from their homeland with you, and you're getting two completely different cultural traditions growing yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. I would say, you know, it was more of the culture that I had than traditions. I mean, my father came, you know, to the U.S. when he was 18. So I don't think he kept a lot of his traditions, but definitely the culture was there. So I grew up, you know, with the music. Also just, I mean, there are two very different cultures um, and there's different communication styles. So just even being like a witness to how they interacted, communicated. My mom was like, you know, 
in a way, a stereotypical Latina, very vocal, expressive, passionate. And my father, for me, the Persian culture is much more like water. And, you know, he was very calm and more, you know, more cerebral than emotional. And so just even growing up, seeing different communication styles like that, um, like I said, the music, the food, having my friends, you know, my American friends or white friends come over and them noticing things that maybe I never noticed because it was so normal for me. Um, and just kind of seeing like how like maybe, you know, we were different or I was different. So all of that, I think, gave me the gift of being open to diversity when I traveled, right? To see the similarities between where I was in the world with, you know, the kind of the three cultures that I grew up with, feeling an affinity to people, especially people who came from, you know, immigrant backgrounds or their parents were immigrants. I think that gave me from a very young age, um, this connection to people who, who were considered, quote unquote, different. And now you're an immigrant yourself. Oh my gosh, now I'm an immigrant myself, which kind of like blew my mind when I actually sat down and thought about that. Um, In what way? You know, you know, just thinking like, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant in a much different way than my parents. I'm very privileged. I'm living in Spain by choice uh, because I can and because I want to, Um, you know, for my parents, it was, it was different for them, but just you know, just kind of comparing maybe parallels of, of my life and theirs. And I came here much later in life than they did. But just, you know, having to adapt, learning a language, that's the biggest thing. When I think of my parents and how fluent they were in English and how they maneuvered that language and how, even though I've been in Spain seven years and I speak very good Spanish, I don't feel like I'm at the level that they were. And so I just give props to immigrants when I think about, you know, how much goes into being able to be yourself in a foreign language. That itself is just incredible. So, um, yeah, I think a lot about, I think I think about, yeah, my existence as an immigrant, um, in a way thinking about kind of what they, what they had, had gone through. I'm sure it's pretty powerful to think being in your position now and being able to reflect on that. Yeah, it's funny what you said about uh, being able to express yourself in another language. I, I, I've spent quite a lot of time complaining about that to myself. Like, I can't, you know, I can't make jokes in real time. I can't just, you know, I'm always behind in the conversation. Finally, I'm like, I, you know what? I got to stop complaining about this. I just need to, like, level up my language skills here. So I started, like, diving in and studying a bit more. But it is, it can be frustrating at times. I mean, well, we could talk about some of the downsides of, living abroad, but let's talk about the upsides first. Yeah, let's do Um, it. (laughs) Well, I mean, let's talk about this idea of hitting refresh. Like, what does that mean to you? Yes. So hitting refresh, actually, um, my friend Annette, who um, we founded, she hit refresh, the, the Facebook group together. She works in IT. So she had come up with this concept of like hitting, you know, what is it? Control F4 on your laptop to hit refresh, like on your laptop. And And we equated that to like hitting refresh on your life, you know, when we were in the U.S. and wanted to make a change, um, really just making a a 180 change. And so that's where the concept or the word hit refresh came from. And we added she to it because our community is for women. So it really is just making a big change in life. But how do you know if that change should be moving abroad? I mean, I know this is a very broad question, so you can't answer it for everybody, but you have had a lot of conversations around this. So... I mean, there's a lot of ways to hit refresh, right? Like you could go to a spa for a weekend or something. I, I, don't, I don't know. Depending on what level of refresh you, you want to go or how deep the refresh is, I suppose. This as a concept is pretty interesting because I, I don't know. I would encourage anybody listening to, I, I guess, think about how deeply they need to refresh it and what that means. I mean, it's, it sounds to me like your sort of positioning on that is that 
it is uh, an opportunity. Moving abroad, a refresh that involves moving abroad, and correct me if I'm wrong, is an opportunity to sort of reinvent yourself in some ways and not not necessarily the core of who you are, but maybe it's, you know, just elements or pieces of your life that that you want to change up, essentially. Definitely. Well said. Yeah. Refresh is a ra- radical change in your life. Radical so change. It's for, okay. yeah. 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 Definitely. is a, It's a reinvention as well. I love that you use that word. And it's really for people who, a lot of people, I think, and me myself, I mean, you know, created this community and this business based on my own experience. It's not that my life in the U.S. was bad. It just, you know, I always felt like I wanted something more. I wasn't fitting into the box of the path that was laid out for me. And I just wanted to make, yeah, that big change for myself because it just felt like my good life was getting in the way of a great life. And for me, I felt it inside that that great life, the possibility of having that, it just felt like it was going to be abroad. And so for me, I knew that's what I needed to do. Yeah. I always think like, even if, even if you don't know that's what you want to do, but you think maybe it is, it's always better to try because at least then, you know, (laughs) you know, like if you think you're going to look back later and regret not trying it, uh, then, because it could be that you move abroad and it's not for you. Like certainly I had a lot of, I guess, ideas around, like I sort of like the, the rose tinted version of moving abroad, right? Like the rose tinted glasses where you get there and you see all the positive things and you think about all of like the sort of experiences and you have this very sort of naive <laughs> mindset in a way. And then the reality in on some of it comes crashing down. Like next thing you know, you're like talking to tax attorneys and trying to figure out like, you know, visas and all this stuff, which isn't fun, but I mean, there's problems that come with everything. Right. So it's just a different set of problems, uh, but you know there are there are things to consider of course but focusing on the on like the 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 just the lifestyle why why did you think uh moving to europe is or why is the lifestyle better i'm using air quotes than the us in your opinion yeah i think for me a lot of it well i think a big part of it was the work situation i just a 9 to 5 was just not made i wasn't made for that working in an office And, you know, back when I was traveling, that was the 2000s. Remote work wasn't really an option. So um, I just didn't want to climb the corporate ladder. That's not what, you know, that made me happy. It actually brought me a lot of anxiety. And I just couldn't fit into that mold. And I tried so many times, but it was just like we were talking about earlier, this freeing feeling abroad that I felt. And I just wanted to have that sense of peace and freedom. I didn't know what I could do abroad. And that was a big part of me, you know, going on this journey of figuring out how to live here. I could never figure out a way that wasn't teaching English and I didn't want to teach English. Um, and there just weren't a lot of options at the time. Another part of it was just culturally. I don't know. I just felt really at home in particular in Spain. I had been to other countries, but there was something about Spain. And I don't know if other people listening or if Jason, you've had this experience. There's just places in the world that just feel right. It's kind of like a Goldilocks experience. You know, I love a lot of the places I've traveled to in the world. Some don't feel right. Some feel amazing and some are just okay. But Spain was the one constant that I just felt really alive, really in my flow. Um, And so I just kept coming back here. And I think between that feeling of peace um, and feeling like I was in the right place in the world, that's what made me feel like, you know what, I just don't think being in the U.S. is right for me. But I just couldn't figure out the piece of how can I live there long term. And how did you end up figuring it out? Yeah, it took a lot of trial and error. 
<laughs> so I did teach English here for a year. I came on a um, teaching English program that a lot of people are familiar with, the Auxiliar program um, that Americans can come to Spain to teach. I did a master's here. So I did a master's in international relations. Um, neither of those led to the path of living here. And um, then, you know, I was back and forth between Spain and the U.S., for quite a while. And after being in, in Austin, Texas for about four years, I thought, let me give it one more go. And at the age of 35, I, I came back to Spain. I had to teach English again, which is not what I wanted to do, but it was a means to getting, you know, creating my life here. It was, you know, getting my foot in the door. So over the pa past seven years, I taught English. Then I got really lucky and I got sponsored. I got a work visa sponsorship. And then I moved into remote work. Um, so yeah, Amazing. here I am. And, and now I'm a Spanish citizen. So Congratulations. I just wanted to highlight one thing because you said, well, then I got lucky and I got, you know, this, but, but I, I wouldn't say you got lucky because you've been trying this multiple times. And then you also came to, you know, teach English and just to get back there, even though you didn't want to. Uh, so yeah, you may have gotten like lucky again, using air quotes, but you put yourself in the position to get lucky just by being persistent with pursuing your dream, which I think is super admirable. Thank you. And I guess, yeah, you're right. I should give credit to that too. You know, I did get lucky, but in the sense, like I had been applying to jobs for years in Spain, right? So um, if you don't you put in that leg, yeah, I didn't give up. I put in the legwork and I kept trying and something stuck. So um, I'm glad it did because here, here I am. I did tell myself though, if I didn't figure it out, I would go back to the U.S. because I didn't want to get stuck here, you know, teaching English forever. Um, and it worked out. So here I am. Yeah. Huge congrats. Um, so since we're talking about Europe specifically, I was wondering if you, I thought it might be good just to explain, this sounds like a silly question, but what exactly Europe is. And I know you do this in your book, but you kind of break down the European Union, how it works in the Schengen area. And I just think it's a good kind of reminder for the listeners here of what, what we're kind of talking about. Yeah, definitely. So Europe, so I'm going to pull up my notes because I want to get the numbers right because I feel like the countries keep changing, right, with Brexit and now Croatia's in and <laughs> things are fluid here. <laughs> so I'm going to pull up my notes here. But, um, you know, for me, I live in Spain, which is part of the Schengen zone. And the Schengen zone are countries that have a union together that kind of have open borders. And so if you've traveled to Europe, you probably are familiar with, you know, the kind of the Schengen where you can be in the Schengen zone for 90 days at a time within a 180 day period. Um, and uh, those are countries that have a limit of how long you can be here as a tourist. Uh, but a lot of those countries are in my book for people who want to move here as well. And there are, I believe, 26 countries in the Schengen zone here is Norway is not one of them. Is that correct? So no, Norway is not in the European union. Got it. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, I believe it's in the Schengen zone. Actually. I almost forget because I'm a citizen now. So I don't think about, it. I haven't thought about it in so long. Got it. Yes. Yeah. Cause there are 27 member States in the EU and 26 of them are Schengen. I can't remember about Norway. Um, but in Europe in general, there's actually 51 countries yes. here. Nor like Norway is. Sorry. I just wanted to throw that out there. Norway is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let me explain that a little clearer for people. So like within um, the continent of Europe, there's 51 independent countries here. 27 though, 27 of those are part of the EU, which is this political and economic union. And then 26 of them are member states where you have this like freedom of movement in between. And, and Spain is one of them here. Um, 
And so in terms of living here, you know, if you want to live here, to live in one of the countries, you're going to have to get a visa that allows you to live in that particular country. Um, you can't move to other countries when you're on that visa. Um, if you certain residencies and of course citizenships eventually will let you to allow you to move between European countries and, and work there as well. Yeah, and I think that might be an important point for some people listening in that I mean, certain countries are harder, certain countries are easier, depending on your situation and what visa you have. Uh, but if you're looking for citizenship, for example, that might change where it might just help you whittle down where you actually want to go, because maybe you're looking for a quicker path to citizenship, knowing that citizenship or permanent residency in X, Y or Z place will open up the entire continent to you that might be the path that you want to be on. So there's just some like sort of semi longer term things to think about, I think too. And I just wanted to kind of mention that, but as far as the deciding where to move, this is kind of part of that question, I guess. What is your advice for people when they're just like, okay, somebody's just like, yeah, I'm sold, Seppi. I want to move to Europe. Let's, let's freaking do this, man. All right, where should I go? Right. Awesome. Well, congratulations if that's you listening. Um, I think number one, like you have to back it up and understand what your goals are because there are a lot of different types of visas out there. There's obviously these new shiny dig digital nomad visas that are popping up left and right. Spain's just went live um, a few weeks ago. But a digital nomad visa, typically, it looks like Spain's might be, typically digital nomad visas do not give you long-term residency and you can't, you know, eventually, you know, become a citizen on digital nomad visa. So if you don't want to live in Europe long-term, you just kind of want to take a sabbatical for a year or maybe hop around a few countries, digital nomad visa is a great way. So understanding what your long-term goals are can help you also narrow down which country you want to move to. If you are looking to live somewhere um, indefinitely, then I would suggest looking at different types of visas that can help you gain permanent residency and eventually possibly citizenship if that's something that you want to. So given that, some of you know the most popular countries, I would say the number one country for people right now is Portugal. I almost feel bad talking about it because Portugal, you know, is dealing with um, a lot of problems with over tourism, people moving there, housing prices skyrocketing, you know, due to the Airbnb effect. Um, so I do feel bad putting more of a spotlight on Portugal, but, you know, people are going there for a certain reason is that the visa is relatively easy for U.S. citizens to get. Um, there are, you know, tax benefits to um, the D7 visa is the one that everyone's going on. And you can get citizenship or you can be eligible to apply for citizenship in just five years of being in Portugal on this visa. So as Jason mentioned, you know, if you get that citizenship and you're interested in, in living in Europe, you know, you can then, you know, after Portugal, maybe you want to move to um, another country in the Schengen. You want to move to Spain or to, to Greece or, you know, one of the other 26 member states. So Portugal's really hot. They also just came out with a digital nomad visa for people who may not qualify for the D7. Spain is also a very hot one. Um, so I would say those are probably the big ones and usually the easiest. That's why they're also very popular as well. But if that's not your thing, you know, the Netherlands, Germany are options as well. France is also an option. Um, Ireland, you know, the list can go on and on. Unfortunately, countries though, like Jason, where you're living up north, those are some of the hardest. So when I talk to people who are like, I really want to live in Sweden or Denmark, Norway, Finland, I actually tell them, like, I think you should reconsider. Unless if you have a partner or your company is going to transfer you, those are going to be very 
hard, but there's 18 other countries in Europe that you'll have a much better shot of finding a visa for. Mm. If people want to explore, maybe they're doing some research and like somebody's like, oh, you know, maybe I want to move to Ireland. Let me see what that's all about or Croatia, whatever. What What's kind of the methodology? What, what do you suggest people do? Do they go to a government website and just looking at visa options? Are there certain visas to kind of search for right off the bat? What, what would be kind of, yeah, what would be the steps you would tell people to take get an immigration lawyer? That sounds pretty extreme for, for I mean, you want to keep costs yeah. low, right? Just when you're researching, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. When you're researching, there's tons of resources out there. If you just Google, I'm going to plug my book because I've done the research for you. So I have a book called I'm Out of Here, An American's Ultimate Visa Guide to Living in Europe, where I actually did the research. And I went through all of those 51 countries in Europe and narrowed it down to the 18 easiest to move to based on viable visa options. So this book is for Americans. And it kind of lays down every visa option that you have available for the countries that are easiest to, to move to. And there's over 50 visa options. Now, if you don't want to you know, get my book, that's fine. You can find a lot of this information online just by Googling. So for instance, if you want to move to Ireland, I would definitely look, Google, you know, kind of like Irish visas. You can also go to, um, you know, your local Irish embassy or consulate's website. Sometimes information isn't as clear there as other places. And um, sometimes if you're searching on Google, the information may not be up to date if you're looking at someone's blog site. So I would suggest to use a few different resources in your initial research just to understand what your options are. Now, if you want to take it one step further um, and you're kind of getting serious to get more information, I would definitely join Facebook expat groups. That is a gold mine there. So if you want to move to Ireland, go find, you know, Americans in Ireland on Facebook or expats in Ireland. And you can actually talk to people who have done what you want to do and they can give you really up-to-date information. They can give you a lot of insights. Um, and if you want to work with an immigration lawyer, you don't have to when you are, you know, looking for a visa or processing your visa. But if you want to, uh, it can make it easier. Those groups are a great place to also get recommendations um, from people who have used um, certain lawyers. So definitely I would say do your Google research, go to embassy websites. You can definitely check out my book. Um, and also Facebook groups are a great place to go. And I want to add one more thing. Visas is one part of the one is a big part of uh, figuring out how to move abroad. But the other part is how are you going to financially, um, you know, support yourself? Because most of these visas that you're going to qualify for are not going to let you work in the country you want to go to. If you want to get a work visa for a country, especially in Europe, I just want to stress that it is very difficult. Even if you're a skilled worker, it can be very difficult. So you do need to, in addition to the visa, figure out what the financial piece is. If, if you're retired, do you have passive income? Will you be working remotely? Maybe do you qualify to get a work visa abroad because you were so highly skilled in a, you know, in a career that they have labor shortages in? So those are the two big things that you need to figure out. Okay. This leads to two questions. And this is just general advice. I know it doesn't go across the board for every situation, but do you find that people have had more success applying from abroad to go someplace or showing up on, say, like a tourist visa and then figuring it out when you get there, kind of having a plan and figuring out when you get there? And I guess I could apply the same question to the income thing you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Well, I will add then, I think that's a great point too. I think part of your research, I definitely suggest doing kind of a, a scouting trip. So 
if you maybe have remote work and you can go, let's say using Ireland example, you can go to Ireland maybe for two weeks, for a month, try it out, test out the lifestyle to see if it really is, you know, what you have imagined in your mind. Um, but with a lot of the visas, talking about visas, a lot of those have to be processed from your home country. So maybe you want to move to Ireland. I think Ireland may be an exception. I don't know off the top of my head where you might be able to do the paperwork in Ireland, but most countries, especially in Europe, you're going to have to process your paperwork in your home country. You won't be able to do that from abroad. Okay. I know. Well, I mean, I'm only speaking for Norway, but there was a not fine print, but it was like on the website, they encouraged you to kind of do it abroad, but then they said you could do it when you showed up for a particular visa that I was applying for. So of course I showed up because it's, you have to be very careful and you have to be very uh, diligent with your research and not afraid to go for it. If you read something on the website that gives you an in, because if I applied abroad from abroad in my situation in this country, I would not been allowed into Norway for many, many months until they, process the visa. And then I would have been separated from my then soon to be wife. Right. But because I found the, the in through immigration that I could apply when I was here, I was able to be here and be with her and, and live. And it was a, you know, thousand times better. Like I, I've read about people that made that mistake where they, they apply from abroad and then they can't get in. And it's just like, I mean, I don't know if it's the same now, but I'm only sharing this personal experience because if you find a way to apply when you're in the country, then do it. Because <laughs> it's going to be much better if you can. And if it makes sense for your situation, of course, financially and all that, all the rest. Definitely. And I think it's important to note that, you know, different countries are going to have different uh, processes uh, over about this, but also different visas within the same country may have different um, possibilities of being able to apply within the country or having to apply within your home country. So definitely read those fine prints. You will also are going to find, you know, different consulates, different people are going to have different information. We definitely see that. I see that talking, you know, in the U.S., if for instance, you want to come to Spain, there are a number of consulates in the U.S. that, you know, different where, depending where you live, you use the one closest to you and different consulates are going to have different information and different requirements for people applying for the same visa to come to Spain. So definitely do your due diligence um, and, and check around. Um, and don't get frustrated if someone gives you the wrong information because there is a lot of, wrong, you know, incorrect information out there. Um, but just, you know, keep moving forward. And th there's going to be obstacles. As Jason mentioned earlier, it's going to be hard. It's not easy to move abroad. But that's okay. It's just part of the process. And if you can accept that, I think it makes it a lot easier to, um, you know, to stick with it. Well, nothing has to be permanent, right? You can come and say, hey, I'm going to try this for a year or two, get what you can while you can get it and see where things go. <laughs> because these laws are always changing. New visas are always coming out. And sometimes, you know, I remember like operating through the visa process here and just kind of assuming one day Norway would allow dual citizenship. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure if I just like fulfill all these requirements and take these language classes, do all these things, if they ever allow it, I'll at least be in the position to take advantage of it. And that's exactly what happened. I was in the position. They legalized it last year and I was able to apply pretty much right away. So sometimes you have to operate on a bit of faith as well. <laughs> Yeah, you never know. Like you said, things are changing all the time. There were people who have been waiting for the Spanish digital nomad visa, waiting a year and a half. 
Um, and it finally came out this year. Surprise. I thought it was still going to take another year. So, you know, visas are changing. Regulations change. Visas that maybe were available last year. I've seen that. I update my the book that I mentioned. I update it annually to uh, incorporate these changes. And I had to remove a few visas that are no longer available that were. So definitely, definitely, you know, ask a few places when you're looking for information. Use a few sources. Um, and um, yeah, don't get discouraged. Outside of the book, are there any other resources you like that you, you would maybe encourage people to check out? Yeah. I mean, Facebook groups, I find those, I'm going to, I'll just say it again, because I think those are, um, er, those are resources that are really up to date. Um, as I mentioned, if you're reading a blog post, it may not have the latest information, but in those expat Facebook, Facebook groups, people are in there who are going through the paperwork process right now, people who have gone through it, people who will be, will be going through it. So they really have their, you know, their ear to the ground and have a pulse on what the um, most recent information is. They can really help you out. Have you ever needed an immigration lawyer and how much did you spend for like the whole visa process, do you think? Oh, I like this question. Um, I have needed one. So when I got the work visa sponsorship in Spain with the Spanish startup, we used a lawyer for that. And that was probably about 1,200 euros. The company paid for that. I didn't pay for that. Um, but for my regular, like my... My student visa that I came when I taught English and then my non-lucrative visa, which I was on before I became a citizen, um, I did that paperwork myself. Uh, I did use a lawyer for the renewals because it was just easier and faster. And that was maybe like 300 euros. So it wasn't too bad. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago, and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever zero to travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Have you started your business abroad? Is it based in Spain or is it based in the U.S.? So it's a U.S.-based company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's based in the U.S. What do you, is your advice around that? Because I had a heck of a time figuring all that out and I eventually had to move my business to Norway. 
and, and it varies by country, but I think a lot of people might be considering some of the remote work options. And if you're working for yourself, just wondering if you could offer any advice around having a business based in your home country and just bringing it with you versus setting up in a new place. Maybe there's some places where setting up a business gets you the in. I don't know. Yeah. Well, in Spain and in many countries in Europe, there there are some visas that are available for starting your business abroad. Um, so that is a possibility. I definitely would check and see kind of what all of the requirements are. It can be a tedious process. Also, if you're not sure you're going to stay in that country long term, I wouldn't suggest to start it there. You know, if you start a company in Spain, but then you are only here for two years and then move back to the US, you know, it could be a challenge to, you know, to close it down, to start a new country, or also just the tax implications may be worse in Spain than it is in the U.S. So I would definitely say look at the tax situation, kind of understand where you want to be long-term. And if it does give you an in in the country you want to live in, that probably is a, you know, a plus to opening it there. I opened mine in the U.S. just because I understood that system better, and I just had heard negative stories about here in Spain. I didn't have the experience myself. So I just thought, you know, it's just easier in the U.S. I can go on this website, start it my my company there. And, um, I, you know, understand the process back home better than I do here. How much do you think language is a factor in terms of your decision-making? In terms of the business? No, uh, in terms of where you're going to move. Um, for people in general. Yeah. I think you should understand that, you know, if you're moving to another country that you should try to learn the local language. I think that's really important, but we do, do need to be realistic. I'm, you know, some people get very upset when they hear that people have been living in X country for, you know, five, 10 years and still don't speak the local language. Hey, I get it. People have different priorities in life. It's hard to you learn know, a not, language. Yeah. Not everyone's great at learning a language. Maybe you just feel comfortable with your people. That's fine. I'm not going to judge people. But um, one, I would say definitely attempt to learn the local language, but be easy on yourself. But if you want to move somewhere where you don't speak the local language, I don't think that should be a barrier to moving there. Um, but just keep in mind, try to learn as much as you can just to, you know, be able to, you'll just have a richer experience living somewhere if you do. But I definitely get that question. A lot of people saying like, I don't know how to, I don't speak French. Like then, you know, can I even move to France? It's like, yeah, you can move there. You'll, you'll learn it in time and you'll be able to navigate and you're going to meet people who speak your language. So I wouldn't weigh that too much in a decision. Yeah. Are there different types of visas that are like, if you were ranking them from easier to get to harder to get, I don't know if that is even something you can do because each country has their own unique ones. But I know you mentioned in your book that, you know, work visas can be pretty difficult to get, but you mentioned the digital nomad visas. I'm just wondering in generalities, if you have any advice around that or yeah, if you were going to rank those, what, what would that look like? Definitely. I'll say the easiest are probably these digital nomad visas that, uh, you know, they're all still fairly new, but that's going to be your easiest. You know, the one requirement is that you do need to have a remote job to qualify for those. Um, another easy one are kind of these retirement slash non-lucrative slash passive income visas that a few countries have. Um, you don't have to be retired to qualify for them, but you do need to meet a certain financial threshold that can be anywhere from, you know, like $10,000 up to, you know, $35,000. So for people who have that kind of savings or income in, in other forms, um, that's a pretty easy one to get if you meet that financial threshold. 
Um, the work visa we talked about, yeah, that's very difficult. So I would not hold my breath on getting one of those. And then for people who, you know, this isn't a qualify for most of us, but for people who have money to really invest, those are actually also some of the easiest ways to get residency in a country if you can invest in property or a business. And those usually start from anywhere from, you know, um, 250,000 and go up to, you know, over a million. So those are, those are a quick in, but you definitely need to have the money for those. For, I guess, in your personal experience, what are some of the drawbacks of living abroad? Oh, the drawbacks. Um, well, I think convenience is one. I guess it depends where you're coming from, right? It's coming from convenient culture in, in the U.S. and other countries. I think sometimes, you know, you just kind of wish things were a little easier sometimes. <laughs> things were open on Sunday or the banks were open past 2.30 p.m. So the convenience factor, which you do, I think, adapt to in time, but that can be a drawback. Um, I think for one, and I think it really depends too on the circles you run in, but overall, I, you know, especially if you're an entrepreneur, business owner, you know, I think that is more embedded in the culture in the U.S. Um, and living in Spain, I feel that I don't feel that a lot from the local culture. Of course, there are entrepreneurs here and business owners. I'm I'm not running in the Spanish business circles, so maybe I'm missing out on that. Um, but I do miss just having a community of people who, you know, have that entrepreneurial mindset. Um, I'm finding that here, but with a lot of foreigners. So I think culturally, you know, um, there may be some things that, that you can miss. That's the downside. But other than that, not much else. I just find there's so many benefits to living here. And especially if you've been able to untether your life with remote work. You know, I spend probably two or three months out of the year in the U.S. anyway. So I'm still getting, you know, what, what I feel like your I fix. like here. I'm getting my fix. Yeah. I go, like I just went back for three months last fall and I went to four different conferences. And so I'm getting the fix of, of what I need. And then when I come back here to Spain, you know, I just reap the benefits of, of life here. Yeah, the question isn't how many conferences you went to, but how many barbecue joints did you go to? <laughs> and you're asking the vegetarian. Okay, well, you know. <laughs> Your version of that in Texas, I'm sure you have it, you know. Chipotle burritos or whatever it is. I don't know. Everybody's got their food, like, I don't know. I feel like when I go home, there's like certain foods I just want to get from goldfish crackers, you know, in the in the grocery store to bagels or whatever, you know? Definitely, definitely. Well, that reminds me. So wait, you said the drawbacks. Two more I want to add. Um, one is the food, and it also depends where you live. So uh, Spain is still doing catch-up with kind of like the international food scene. They have great Spanish food, but um, I really miss diversity in food, which uh, you can get when I go to like Berlin or London, I am like geeking out and eating. And of course, when I go back to the U.S. Um, and the second thing I think one drawback that I find here is just diversity in people, you know, in the U.S. and I, I from a from Houston, which is a really diverse city. I think that's one thing I really miss um, being here in Spain. I know a lot of cities in Europe can offer the diversity, but I feel like I lack that here. Hmm. The uh, best places to live in Europe for expats. Can you lay a few on us and why? Right. So best is really, really depends on, on what you're looking for. I mean, some people say the best, you know, country to live in is Switzerland. That wouldn't be for me, but it is a very safe, clean country that, you know, really um, runs by the rules. Um, beautiful. Also very expensive. That comes at a cost. So best in terms of that's what you're looking for. That's, you know, I think a lot of people like that. For me, 
And I think a lot of people, as I mentioned before, Spain, Spain is amazing. Um, I think the quality of life here is great, especially if you have a foreign income. Um, you can definitely have a, a very comfortable quality of life, Portugal as well. Um, and the weather, you know, I think I know a lot of people are chasing sun. So these are also very warm, sunny countries. Um, other places, if you're looking for work and you are in tech or highly skilled, you know, maybe best for you is going somewhere where you can get a job. So I would say the Netherlands, Amsterdam is a tech hub, Germany, Berlin is a tech hub. So those might be the best places for you as well. We didn't talk about healthcare. I know it's a drag of a topic for Americans, but yeah, is it hard to get set up within a government, like a new government system? Like once you have a visa, are you set up or it just depends on the kind of visa you have? Again, generally speaking, we're talking about an entire continent here. Yeah. So for a lot of the visas that Americans will qualify for, you're going to have to get a private healthcare plan. Um, but don't let that scare you. So those are generally pretty inexpensive. I pay about 45 euros a month for mine and I have incredible coverage. For some countries, after amount, an X amount of time of living there legally, you can get on their public healthcare system. Um, and so that you know, it's going to be paperwork to do that and probably a few office visits. But once you get over that hump, depending on the country you're in, it's probably going to be better than, you know, your experience in the U.S. and definitely a lot easier on your pocket. So definitely expect to play, pay for a private plan. Um, it won't be nearly as much as what you're paying in the U.S. And then if you're lucky on the visa you're on, you might have an end to the public health care system. So when you say a private plan, you mean you pay for a private plan in the country you're in? Yes, you pay for a private plan in the country you're in. I think some countries will allow you to apply for kind of like, you know, global coverage that would cover you within country. But like in my case, I'm using a Spanish health, private health care plan here in Spain. Um, and so I, yeah, have my online portal and I can make my appointments there and do video calls with my doctor, go in person. And it's easy, inexpensive. And I actually go to the doctor a lot only because I can, right? When anything, when I, anything comes up, I, I go in the U S it was always right. Such like a hurdle to make an appointment. And then you never know like what surprise cost there's going to be. And then you have to fight with the bill collectors. And it was just like yeah. such an ordeal that I was like, you it's know, it's probably nothing. I'm not even going to go. Yeah. It's the worst. It's the worst thing to think about that you can have one of the richest countries in the world and there's still millions of people that when they get hurt, the first thing they think or say is, oh, I don't know, should I go to the doctor for this? How much is this going to cost? Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's, I it's just, sad. I, I'll never get it. Well, when you go back to the U.S., how do you handle that? Do you have to maintain insurance in the U.S.? You mentioned going back for two or three months and if somebody has a flexibility of a remote job, this is something that they might want to do. Maybe they primarily base in Europe, but then they're spending a third of the year or whatever in the States. There are ramifications to the amount of time you spend in the States, tax-wise and things like that, maybe, uh, and, and maybe healthcare-wise. I don't know. You want to speak to some of those things? Yeah. So for healthcare coverage, um, it really will depend on your situation. So maybe you are employed by a U.S. company and living abroad. So in that case, you may have your you know healthcare coverage through your employer. So that's great if you have that set up. I don't have that because I work for myself. So when I go back to the U.S., I get a third-party um, kind of like, you know, healthcare plan or like um, emergency plan for when I'm back in the U.S. so that I don't go bankrupt if something does happen and to me. And that's a U.S. company? 
That is, ooh, I, it may be US. I think it might be US. I'm not sure where exactly. So you don't based. do travel insurance. You do some kind of plan that's in the state. Ah, uh, sorry. Okay. So this is actually a travel insurance plan that covers me in my home country. I see. So that's okay. what it is. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I'm not going to the doctor when I'm in the US. It's just if, you know, if I break an arm, break a leg kind of thing, I want coverage for that yeah. while I'm there. Um, and then I was going to say You don't want to take something. a $60,000 oh. ambulance ride or whatever? <laughs> right. I know. I'm like, I don't want to be wiped out. Um, and then if I get sick, I'm just going to have to, you know, tough it out until I can go back to Spain um, or what. Maybe hop the border to Mexico. Go somewhere with affordable health care. Um, and then there are plans. I actually um, have just partnered with a company called Safety Wing. Um, I'm still understanding, you know, healthcare. There's a lot to understand, but just um, understanding all of their ins and outs. But it looks like they do actually have coverage for digital nomads or people who work remotely um, who need healthcare coverage abroad, but also when they go back home for visits. So I don't know how long you're allowed to be in your home country that they cover that for, but that might be a company to to look into as well. Yeah, the founder is Norwegian. I've, I've gotten to interview him a couple times. So oh, amazing. Okay. Too. Yeah. Maybe your best advice here. Let's kind of close it out with uh, some of your best advice overall. Yeah, I think for one, I you know, while my advice is open to everybody, I really want to focus on people who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and above and just really, really stress that you're not too old and it's never too late to move abroad or to change your life. I think sometimes we feel like that time has passed us by to really shake things up. And I just want to let you know that there are so many people just like you out there that are doing the thing you want to do. And as I mentioned before, finding an advocate, I think also finding a community of people that understand your dreams and your goals so that where you can express that freely and not be judged, I think will help you understand that if you want to make a move abroad later than later in life, it's totally possible. It's okay. You're not crazy. <laughs> there are people out there doing that. So I just, you know, don't want people to give up on the dream because they feel like that time has passed. So that's the first thing I would say. Um, number two, just want to stress that a move abroad is possible in terms of like, you know, being able to find the visa and getting the logistics in place. You can figure it out. The information is there. I have a lot of resources and there's a lot of free resources out there. So it's totally possible. Another limiting belief is, you know, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to marry somebody and you don't have to get transferred with your job. There's a lot of other ways that you can make a move abroad happen for you. Cool. Thanks so much for that. And uh, I always appreciate the those mind-opening ideas and perspectives. So as a listener coming out of this, I'm sure you're if you weren't inspired before this interview, I'm sure you are now to at least maybe look into this. And I, I appreciate the work you're doing to help people get overseas, which is uh, obviously a transformative experience and something a, a lot of people in this community are, are doing or wanting to do. So uh, super helpful to have you on the show today. And thank you. Thank you so much for uh, for your time and sharing your story. Thank you so much, Jason. Such a pleasure. This was so much fun. And you are an incredible podcast host. So thank you so much Stop for that. this. Stop that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to see you in Spain sometime. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. There you have it. Thank you once again to Seppi for stopping by the show. Had a blast chatting with her and always appreciate getting some expert advice especially on this topic, living abroad, using travel to hit refresh. I love that concept. And what she said at the top, I do want to circle back and share a few comments. 
on that idea of leaving a good life for a great life. This is a very fine line, I feel. And if that resonated with you and if you've been thinking about it and you're like kind of pondering it as I was, there's a couple sides to this coin, right? On the one side, you want to be grateful for what you have. You want to appreciate the things you have. And what's wrong with a good life? When you see so much struggle and pain in the world, a good life is a great thing and could be considered a great life by many. Uh, Yet on the other side of the coin, and this is where it gets kind of tricky, you want to say, okay, this is great, but it's, I'm not satisfied with this. I feel like there's something maybe better. And that can be a slippery slope, always chasing something that you perceive as better, arriving there, and then just wanting the next thing, being on that proverbial hedonic treadmill. But on the other hand, and I've been in this position where I've felt in my soul and my gut, you know, this is good. And yes, let's say in a job, you're making a salary or things are comfortable, but there's something better. There's, a, there's something waiting for you in this next version of you. And you'd be ignoring your soul. You'd be ignoring your gut. You'd be ignoring whatever you want to call it, your spirit, if you didn't go after that thing. And perhaps travel is a way to hit refresh like we talked about today. Maybe it's a certain decision you're going to make or starting something new. Whatever the case is, there are a lot of ways to hit refresh in life. And uh, speaking of that... Sometimes we can over-dramatize this stuff, right? Like, we need to change our entire lives. Maybe it's just a part of our life we want to change. Just because you're dissatisfied with your job doesn't mean that (laughs) the rest of your life is terrible, right? So, like, let's look at this as parts of our lives as well. Because refreshing your whole life is one thing, but we can also chunk it down. So, as you come out of this, thinking about, is there a piece of your life or perhaps your whole life for some people. Is there a good life getting in the way of a great life? What is the one decision you can make to perhaps change that? Is travel part of it? Is it not? Just something to think about is all. That's all. I just like to throw out some things to think about to wrap this up. You know you have your inner wisdom. You're the boss of you. Everything you need is inside of you to ponder this and decide for yourself whatever it means for you and the next version of of your life or the next thing you do, whatever the case is. So I just giving you some things to think about. Okay. I'll let you go with a quote now. And this is from Buddha Dharma who said, when we're deluded, there's a world to escape. When we're aware, there's nothing to escape. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of this community and look forward to seeing you next week again. Cheers, my friend. Have a great day. Peace and love to you and yours. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.